0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and join me today in Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter number 15. While you're turning, um, let me also ask you to, to turn and then to to look. I'm going to ask you some questions to identify some things and and this is not an endorsement, just so you know. I'm going to put some, some brand logos up on our screens today. And so I'll put it up, and then I'll say, this is, and then you just say whatever it is that the logo um, is supposed to identify. So we'll see how well you do. Um, here's the first one. So the first logo that we have today. Okay, so this is the logo for... MasterCard. Very good. It's every place you want to be. Wow, I think we just heard the bands of Orion there, so I don't know what that was, but okay, so that is MasterCard. Okay, let's look at the next one. The next one is, and this is? Now, don't say it before I ask, okay? You're you're jumping the gun a little bit here, so this is Apple Computer, and um, again, this is not an endorsement. Uh, Let me see what my iPad says next here. Okay, so... Okay, let's look at the next one. The next one, a little tricky. Okay, so this one is, this is what? Instagram. Now, how many of you had no idea what that one was? Raise your hand, just be on, yep. Some of you, either you're, you're four or you're over 40. Okay, so that is Instagram. Okay, as soon as you see it, a lot of people said, oh, I know exactly what that is. And some of you are like, ah, I think I've seen that somewhere before. Uh, let's do one more this one is a tough one this one is mcdonald's McDonald's. okay that one's been around since the days of job actually and uh, that's synonymous with the bands of orion okay when you when you see these images immediately something comes to mind because the image is not the substance in other words you get that right the image just takes us to something a company A product, a restaurant, a a service. So the image is supposed to represent. The image is not an end in itself. The image is supposed to speak of something beyond the image. But a good image is going to rightly connect us to that which it represents. What starts to happen in Romans chapter 15 is we start to see that there is something for every believer to take on as their image. And we find the more we look at it, we're supposed to have as our image, our likeness, the person of Jesus Christ. So the, the idea is that when someone looks at you, when someone looks at me, they're not supposed to stop on us. In other words, a logo is, is of no value if it goes no further than itself. I suppose I could have shown some logo that, that nobody's aware of, and, and they said, well, I just designed it for the sake of the logo. It's only for the sake of the image. Well, well then really it's representing nothing and taking us no further than itself. So you understand the, the correlation, right? That when someone looks at you and when someone looks at me, they're they're not supposed to pause there. There's supposed to be something about your life and mine that represents something of greater importance than than we ourselves. The passage in Romans 15 helps us to start to, to take on some likeness of Christ And really what Romans 15 is doing is it's giving us some of the tools to actually apply Romans 14 in a likeness that is befitting Christ. Paul doesn't stop with just kind of putting some principles out there and the Holy Spirit knows, okay, you're going to need these principles, but now you're going to need to know how do I actually put these things into practice in my life? And in this section of Scripture, he is primarily talking to believers. He's talking to the family of God. But it's not supposed to end with the family of God. It's supposed to have application for the church, this called-out assembly, because there is a watching world. The title of the message today is simply, Who Do They See? Who Do They See? When a person looks at you and me, do they go no further than the, the logo, so to speak? Or does that logo, does that image, does, does that thing that they see take them beyond us and connects them to that which is truly important? Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 15. And when we start to think about this passage, One commentator that I read said this. He said, it is a great thing to treat a weaker brother in the spirit of charity. It is far greater to treat him in the spirit of Christ. I suppose that a lot of people could be charitable, but only a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, only that person who has God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of them, only that person can truly go simply beyond a charitable spirit and then take on the likeness of Jesus himself. And how thankful we are that Christ didn't simply endure us. Sometimes I think we look at other believers like, well, Romans 14 is telling me how to kind of put up with other people. And that's not the point of the passage at all. Or sometimes we might take Romans 14 and we might say, wow, it's talking a lot about the weaker brother in a fellowship of saints and and how do we just kind of, you know, get along with them and and tolerate them. Jesus doesn't just endure us. He looks for every opportunity to encourage us to growth into a clearer likeness of Christ. And again, what we're going to see today in Romans chapter 15 is some clarification on how to represent Jesus as we practice the principles found in Romans chapter 14. So let's start. The first thing we're going to see in this passage is this, and that is, I am bound. I am bound. It's like, whoa, that sounds, that sounds serious. Well, it actually is serious. There are things that you and I are actually bound to do within the body of believers, the church. Romans 15, let's look at verse number one. Romans 15:1 says it this way. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay, again, throughout Romans 14 and then into 15, Paul is primarily addressing a group of people that we're referring to as the strong. To them, he is saying, you are bound to something that you should not be looking for every opportunity to escape. Sometimes when we start to think about, okay, the strong believer and the weak believer, we start to ask questions like, well, how far do I actually have to go with this? I mean, I mean, how bound to other people am I before I can start to actually practice my liberty? Now, there are some who practice liberty in such a way that they're they're charitable about doing so, but, but they're really primarily concerned with their liberty. They're understanding the gospel, they're living as a testimony to that, but their primary focus is their liberty. There are others who understand their liberty, but their desire primarily is, how can I use my life, not just my liberty, to the advancement of the body of believers? How can I use that which I understand? I I get it in Scripture, but this is not my focus. My focus is the advancement of the work within the body of believers. We remember that while we are free from the ceremonial obligations of the law, we remain under the Christian obligations of love. I know, I'm, I'm free from the ceremonial. Paul uses that in Romans 14. So if you're just kind of catching up with like Romans 14, wow, some of, some of these believers whose conscience was weak, they were brought up in Judaism and, and all of the demands of the law. And there were meats that were forbidden, but God removed those ceremonial laws. And now they they could go and, and whatever meats there were, they, they could consume them they they were free to do so but their conscience was weak and it's like oh I, I can't do that I feel like I'd be sinning if I do so the apostle helps us understand we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak there's something more than my freedom from the law there is something about my obligation of love so Paul connects us to two obligations essentially in verse number one and both are springing from my love of Christ that is demonstrated in my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so, so look at what are the two things, the two obligations? Well, first of all, again, he uses this idea of we are bound. We are bound. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number three, to help us understand, he says we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 says this, we are bound To thank God always for you. It's the same word, we ought to. Hear hear what he's saying. We ought to thank God always for you. But the word also carries the idea of there's something that is binding upon us. We are bound to and certainly we ought to always give thanks to God for you. So this phrase, we are bound, same phrase as we ought to bear. What ought I then to do? You could translate it this way. We then that are strong are bound to bear the infirmities of the weak. I am bound. Again, notice how Jesus practices this principle. Okay, Jesus himself, how does he practice this principle with the use of this word? John chapter 13, verse number 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, speaking to the, to the disciples, ye also ought to. Now again, we're doing no disservice to the word ye also are bound to wash one another's feet. Like I have served you, Jesus said, you ought to or you are bound to humble yourself and serve one another. Remember now, Jesus clearly is not the weaker brother here. He's the stronger. He's serving the weaker. He says, you're bound to do what I have just exampled for you. This means there's someone that I'm bound to. Now let me say that again. This means there is someone. Now I'm not just talking about a singular person, but there's somebody that we're bound to, and I'm not saying that we are bound first to their weakness. I'm saying we are bound to them, and they may have some weaknesses. There are some pictures about this in all kinds of different aspects of life. I mean, when my wife married me, she married not only my strengths, but she married my weaknesses. And so now there are things that she has to kind of carry along because that, that's part of the deal. Now, the goal for carrying those weaknesses is the intention that I might, even in my weaknesses, become strong. Uh, you know, Tony's here on the platform today. So if Tony said, uh, hey, Pastor, do you want to go for, um, do you want to do some, uh, some trail riding uh, on bicycle some mountain biking and I'm like oh wow Tony um, I'm I'm not really good at that he's like no 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 let's you and I go together so Tony and I are going to go mountain biking and Tony and I don't know if he is or not but he he looks pretty buff okay so so Tony he's this avid mountain biker he's really good I mean he can go up you know straight up basically and uh, he's really good but if he and I are going to go together what does he have to do he has to in a sense bear my infirmity now, if Tony says, hey, let's go two times a week, every week, his intention is not that my weakness would remain. His intention is that he would bear my weakness for the purpose of building my strength. Sometimes we get the idea, well, I'm just, I'm just you know, I'm just bound to everybody's weaknesses. No, you're, you're bound to one another with the intention of carrying those weaknesses to the end that we might strengthen the areas that are weak. So there, there's a binding that happens that like, wow, that, this is liberating and strengthening at the same time. We think about it like this. Binding ourselves to another and their weaknesses provides one of the purest reflections of Christ. I mean, He who knew no sin, he he takes on the infirmities of us all. The one who who put on the likeness of sinful flesh. The the one who leaves the splendors of heaven and and he comes in, in our similar aspects, bearing up our weaknesses. To what end? So that we might be made strong. Do you remember the simple old? Um, some of you would remember. There was a simple old chorus we used to sing when I was a youth pastor, and we did a little a little hand clapping motion with it. And the song was "Bind Us Together, Lord." How many of you remember that old song? Lots of you do. We're not going to do it this morning, okay? But but bind us together. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. It's a fun song, but it's good doctrine. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Bind us together with love. This is the idea that he starts us out with. We are bound. We ought to. It's more than just, hey, this is a good idea. He says, no, no, no. You are bound to. And then he goes beyond it. He says, not only are you bound to this, but bound to what? To bear the infirmities of the weak. We then that are strong ought to, there's the word, bear the infirmities of the weak: I am bound. I ought to bear." Well, what does that mean? It, it literally means to get underneath a heavy load. OK? You see someone like, "Oh wow, they're struggling with that. I, I want to get under and I want to get under and help shoulder that load. I have strength, and I'm going to now help carry the burden, the load that they're now under. And, you know, in any church, there are those that are like, oh, this is, oh, this is hard for me to process. I, I can't get past this. My conscience is weak in this area. It's like, okay, listen, I can, I can come underneath that. I can help shoulder that. This doesn't, in a sense, blow me out of the water. I, I can, I've got space for this. And I'm going to help shoulder that load. It is this understanding of bearing the weakness of another. There's not a parent in here who hasn't been with a, a three-year-old who's going for a long walk, and finally they just have given out. It's not that they're, they're, you know, they're being cranky or whatever. They just, they're just done. And so what do you do? Well, you do what a parent does. You pick up that child, and you help literally carry the load. The stronger for the weaker. Uh, Julie and I... Have, have been participating in a, a sport that has grown in popularity rather rapidly, and it is pickleball. How many of you have ever played pickleball before? Oh, lots of you have. So Julie and I have started to play that. Well, we've, we've played for a little less than a year, so we've, we've just kind of started, and it's a lot of fun. We play with our neighbors. We have some courts in our neighborhood, and so we play with our neighbors. But here's how it started It started, I would be out walking Sadie, and by the way, two of our neighbors are here today, Chris and Lisa, and and so we're walking, and I'd be out walking the dog, and Chris, I would walk by, and they're out playing pickleball. Chris would say to me, and he said this literally for months, he'd see me, and I'd I'd be standing there just kind of watching him, walking the dog, and he'd say, hey, I got another paddle right here, and I'd like, oh yeah, okay, good, you know, and I i keep walking, you know, and I'd be by again, and he's like, hey, I still got that paddle. I'm like, that's good, man, good. Looks like fun, but in my mind, I'm like, no chance in France that I'm going to play that, okay? Keep walking. He did this for months. He just kept saying, hey, hey, I got a paddle for you. Well, finally, the day came when Julie and I showed up to play pickleball, and there's Chris. He's like, hey, hey. Oh, look at you, and, and, and Chris and Lisa, they've been playing for a long time. <clears throat> guess what you have to do when someone who's never really played before, guess what you have to do? You have to, in a sense, carry their weakness. So, so Chris doesn't look at me coming, saying like, uh-oh, uh, here's the new guy, uh, let's, Lisa, come on, let's get in the game really quick, okay? Before they get here, we don't want to play with them because they're new. See, they, they don't do that. It's really interesting. This group that we play with, somebody new comes, it's like, hey, hey, come on, let, let, uh, put your paddle. Here's what we do. Let's get you in. And um, okay, now here's the basics. And do you know what they start to do? They start to, to, to they're, they're bearing the infirmities of the week. Okay, they're going to learn this. Now, the intention is not that they're going to stay that way the whole time. The intention is not that, but they do understand this is going to take a while, so we're going to help shoulder that load, we're going to help carry that weakness, and we're going to do it for a while, because the intention is that they're going to go beyond their weakness, and actually the weak are going to become strong, and that's the point of the local church. There's something to which we are bound. We ought to do what? You ought to help, like, shoulder the load. Okay, so they're, they're weak in that area. I can handle that. We don't look at them with some despising aspect. We don't look at them as like, oh boy, we're going to have to endure this. Or how sad it is that the church has to be drugged down by their weakness. We're, we're missing the whole point. The whole point is, how is it that I can help shoulder that load with the intention that the weak grow into strength those who can bear no weakness in others can build no strength in them either if you've come to the place where you are just i just don't want to deal with their weakness you've also exempted yourself from the opportunity to be someone who builds into them strength When churches drive out those whose weaknesses won't be tolerated, they also drive out the opportunity to see them made strong. You think about a a backpacker. It's very similar to, you know, Tony riding a mountain bike. You think about a backpacker that is is going with other people of different skill and ability. Doesn't it make sense that some people are not going to be able to put as much in their pack as another person? Now you can say, if this is how you want to do it, you can say, everybody, it's only fair, everybody who's going to climb is going to have to carry exactly the same amount. You can do that, but you sure do limit the number of people who are going to be able to climb a mountain. And you know, the church isn't, isn't called to get everybody exactly the same, carrying the same amount of weight. That's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is like, hey, come on. Come on, this is a fellowship of believers. We're a family. And families come together and say, okay, uh, listen, in a family, the the 14-year-old is going to have to do some things that a 4-year-old is not expected to do. And in the family of believers that make up local churches, like the church at Rome to whom Paul is writing, he's helping us understand, you that are strong, put a little bit of extra weight in your pack. Carry some things that, that I know that you, you say, well, they should have to get. I know, but they're weak right now. We want to see them come to a place of strength. So right now, why don't you help shoulder carry that load? It's the same word and the same idea. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, what's the first thing that we see in this passage? Verse number one, I am bound. Let's go beyond that a little bit, and let's see the next thing. I am to build. I am to build. Okay, verse number two and three. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. That's okay. I'm doing this to build him, to edify, strengthen. Verse number three. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. What he's saying is, all right, listen, you were reproached, but those who reproached you, I'm the one who carried that, Jesus saying. The word please here, not to please ourselves. it means we're not looking for an opportunity to accommodate ourselves, make room. And we say, well, why should I do that? So that you may have influence and opportunity to build into the lives of others the likeness of Christ. Okay, we're strong. Okay, well, we ought to, to look for opportunity to accommodate our neighbor, our brother, our sister in Christ. Think about how many times the word pleased is used in these first three verses. He, he's building this theme. Okay, who are you trying to please? Yourself? or someone of greater importance, and that is Christ. Romans 15.1, and not to please ourselves. Romans 15.2, let every one of us please his neighbor. Romans 15.3, for even Christ pleased not himself. The point the Bible is making is that the Christ life is a life of selflessness, not selfishness. Think about Romans, excuse me, think about 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 9. Listen to what it says. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. He's rich, becomes poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Christ has every right to heaven, yet he set aside that right and took upon him the form of a servant, was made into our likeness. He set aside his rights temporarily, taking on our weakness so that we could in turn build strength. Again, Paul's not arguing here that we're continually to give into every whim of our weaker brother's desires, rather, we're to act in a way that will provide lasting benefit. We we help him carry his weaknesses. If our lives are continually lived in pursuit of pleasing ourselves, we may find that lasting pleasure never comes. And a life lived pleasing our Savior by pleasing others is a life that we eventually find to be most pleasing. It's the way that God has orchestrated the life of a believer. Okay, let's go on a little bit further into the last point and then some concluding thoughts from Romans 14 and the first part of Romans 15. Okay, so we see I'm bound. We also know I am to build. And then look at this last part starting in verse number five and that is I am to bless. There's something that through me is to be the blessing to others. verse number five now the god of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to christ jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth now these are really important words glorify god even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the, here we go again, to the glory of God. Okay, the old catechisms, the first question and answer that they, that they give is, is found in this fashion. The first question, what is the chief end of man? Okay, that's an important question. What is the chief end of man? but it goes beyond that and it gives us an answer. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What an incredible privilege that God has granted to every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ, now, we could extend this, and certainly there's some nuance with it, but we could extend this. What an incredible privilege, invitation that God has given to every living, breathing human being to glorify God. You say, well, whoa, well, how does that happen? What do you mean to glorify God? Okay, at least in part, the words glorify God mean to give the right opinion of God to give the right opinion of God. Okay, the words according to Christ, according to Christ, mean after the example of Christ. Okay, so, so here's this idea of, anytime a person looks at Jesus, they have the right opinion of God. Okay, every time, you see, no matter what he's doing, when you see Jesus, you have the right opinion of God. You say, well, Jesus is God, I know. But in Jesus' physical, earthly life, wherever you saw Jesus, whatever he's doing, whether he is having a moment of levity with some children. And some children, I mean, I mean they, they came to him, the disciples are going to try to run them off. You know, like, hey, hey, he's too busy. And Jesus is like, no, allow little children to come unto me. And they're crawling on his back, and he's got one on his lap, and he's, and he's tickling behind their ear, and they're giggling. Whenever you saw Jesus, he's touching a leper. He's restoring a woman caught in adultery. He's instructing the crowds. He's rebuking the Pharisees. Whatever you see Jesus doing, every time you see him, I have the right opinion of God. Jesus, by his life, whether he's eating or drinking or whatsoever he's doing, he's doing all to the right opinion of, all to the glory of God. Do you know one of the primary means by which you bless another person is the, the manner with which a person looks at you and they see the, the, the logo, so to speak, and it immediately takes them to something more important than the logo. Now they're, they're seeing some image and it is taking them to something higher. They now see God. You see, so, so oh I'm not God. No, clearly you and I are not but we're made in an image. We sometimes say that every person created uniquely from all the rest of the the, the animal kingdom differently. Why? Because only you are created to be an image bearer. We're going to address that more actually even in the service tonight. Only you are created to be an image bearer. And guess what you're supposed to do? When we go about our business, about our life, no matter where a person sees us, what we're doing, how we're acting, they're supposed to say, wow, I see something of God in the manner with which they're acting. That's the great blessing that our life has the invitation to be to the life of someone else. When we think about Jesus and his example, why does he come into the world? Consider just two examples. Now, there's more than this. But consider two examples. Why did Jesus come? These are two primary reasons. First of all, to do the will of the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and he expresses that many times. In fact, the first recorded words we have of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy, he says to his mother, "Wisht ye not?" or "Mom, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business?" Like, "Mom." I'm here to do the work of the Father. This is the course of his life. as His ministry on earth is about to conclude. Okay, we have it at the very beginning. I'm here to give other people, you know, the, the, the understanding that I'm here to do a job. And I want to represent my Father well. End of his life, John seventeen four. This high priestly prayer that Jesus offers. He's speaking now in prayer. He says, I have glorified thee, God the Father. I've given other people, no matter how they saw me, they have had the right opinion of you. I have glorified thee on the earth. Now listen to this. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. There's nothing left for me to do except the cross that is before me. And then at the cross, Jesus now adds the final period to the work when he says, it is finished. No more work to do. What did did Jesus come to do? He came to do the will of the Father. He glorified the Father by doing the work he was given. What a blessing Christ brought by doing what he came to do, which was the will and the work of the Father. So what does he come to do? Well, to do the work of the Father. You and I have work to do as well. God, what do you have for me to do? Well, look a little bit further, and this helps us understand even to clarify the work. He came to do the will of the Father, and he came to show us, to show us the Father. Remember now that logo, okay, you see those golden arches, that's not an end in itself. They show us something that is beyond the image. The Bible says it this way, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, again in John chapter 14, verse number seven, if ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. And from henceforth, ye know him and have seen him. Okay. He's talking to the disciples. You've seen him. Philip says, whoa, uh, uh, Jesus, Lord, show us the father and it sufficeth us. Lord, if you show us the father, it's all good. We'll have everything completely understood. And Jesus responds, Philip, have I been so long with you that you say unto me, show us the Father? If you have seen me, Jesus says to Philip and to the disciples, he that hath seen me, Jesus speaking, hath seen the Father. Why does Jesus come? Jesus comes so that I can watch him and I can say, oh, that's what God's all about. That's the Father. Let's think about our actions this last week. The conversations that we had. Those with our spouse, those with our children, those with our neighbors. Those with a person we don't really know, but we had some interaction with. As, As people looked and studied our lives, was there something about our life that took them beyond us, and we then bless them by showing them The Father. This is what Jesus did perfectly. Jesus perfectly glorified the Father because everything he did gave others the right opinion of God. The greatest blessing that you and I can experience is to do that for which we were created. Remember, we're all image bearers created in the image of God. So to live our lives with fellow believers doing that which we were created to do, Living the life of Jesus Christ with one another before a watching world is the blessing that now belongs to you and me. Jesus is no longer here on earth, but he has left us to do the will of the Father just as he has done. And this brings both a blessing to others, even as it blesses us, all the while bringing great glory to God. We're about to wrap up Romans 14 and 15. So before we conclude, let's let's conclude with what does this mean and not mean for you and I today? Okay, I get it. I'm I'm bound to to my brother, and he has some weaknesses. I am to build. This is the whole point. I, I want to strengthen the body. And there is something, when I reflect Jesus, there is something that is a blessing both to me and to others. I was created to do that. Okay, so what are these, these concluding principles then? About Romans 14, the weaker brother, the stronger brother, bearing these infirmities. What does that mean for us? Number one, it means you, are, it means you welcome those that you disagree with over non-essential matters. Okay, what does it mean when, when we get right down to it? What does this mean? It means that you welcome those that you disagree with over non-essential matters. Romans 14, 1 and 2, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. He says, okay, there's going to be some differences over non-essentials. Receive him. Now, basically, Paul spent the first 11 chapters of Romans covering the essentials. We know what those are. He's saying, now, there are some things that we just haven't talked about, some things that he said I alluded to. These are non-essential items. He says, listen, when it comes to non-essential items in the church, receive your brothers and sisters in Christ. What else does this mean? It means that you must not look down on those whose freedoms differ from yours. You don't look down on those. Their freedoms are different than your freedoms. Like, well, it's too bad that they're, no, 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 no. We're not looking down on one another. The Bible says in Romans 14, three, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. This is where our love for God and our focus on him allows us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Recognizing that if God has received them, we can too. Now seriously, we should be asking the question, are, have we made our standards higher than God's on who we will receive? For God hath received him. Well, I'm, he, God might have, but I'm not going to. Do you have a higher standard of righteousness than God? So, what do we say? Well, we conclude, okay, I'm not going to look down on those whose freedoms may differ from our own. Number three, it means that God leads people down different paths, granting different freedoms. Uh, Psalm 23, verse number three, he leadeth me. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Obviously, to be clear, there is only one path to salvation in Christ. On that, we must agree. We're not talking about the essentials here, those, those first 11 chapters of Romans. But I would also submit that the way He is leading you is unique to you. God knows the way He wants you to take, and it may look different than the way another is taking. You may or may not be able to celebrate the same holidays as another. Go to the same places. Worship in the exact same manner. Don't assume that God has led you, but not your brother or your sister. This is mature stuff. Say, well, that's hard to do. I didn't say it was easy. I'm talking about this is what the Bible says. God has received him. God is leading him. Don't despise one that may be led in a way that is not the same leading as you have Listen, how many of you have ever left this campus before where we meet for church? How many of you have ever left this campus with your spouse in a different vehicle and you took different ways to get home? How many of you have ever done that? Okay, my wife sometimes does that. Like I'll go out one way and she says, I'm going to go this way and then I floor it, okay? Because I definitely want to get home first. And let me tell you, I hate it when I pull in and she is there and she has this little smug look on her face, you know? Ah, it bothers me because she took a different way and it was faster than mine. Well, the truth be told, there's a lot of factors that are going to determine who's going to get there first. And, And one way may at one point be better than the other way, but we're not talking about the narrow way of salvation. We're talking about a way that God brings believers to points of sanctification. And that's not always like, wow, this is, I'm so glad that's so easy to do. It's not always easy to do, but it is what we are instructed to do. Number four, it means that my primary concern is not to impede the progress of another believer. That's my primary concern. I don't want to impede the progress of another believer. It doesn't mean, please hear this carefully, it doesn't mean that I can never do anything that pleases myself. It is the pleasing of myself regardless of how it may affect others that is condemned okay you can't well I, you know they can't eat certain things okay it means basically you're going to do one of two things this is the bible example there are many other examples well they can't eat that okay it means either i'm going to go to the salad bar and just get a salad when they're there or i'm going to get takeout okay and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, no, I'm going to enjoy this privately, discreetly, but not, I'm not going to flaunt this in front of them because there could be something that, again, I'm using a Bible example that may be harder for us to apply today, but it's the idea that, okay, I'm not going to flaunt something. I don't want to impede their spiritual progress. Say, well, well, is there anything else that I should be, yeah, the last one. It doesn't mean that I'm bound to every weakness of another. Remember, I'm bound to a person not not like, oh, well, they don't like this, or they don't, let me give some, some clarity, and I think it comes with three questions. It doesn't mean that I'm bound to every weakness of another. Three questions. First, are my actions causing them to stumble, or do they just not like it? That's an important question. Are these actions that are potentially causing my brother to stumble, or they just don't like it? Oh, often, a legalistic believer will attempt to limit another, believer or another brother or sister in Christ simply because they don't like something, not because they are in danger of falling. This isn't the point. Okay, so are my actions causing them to stumble, or do they just not like it? Second question, are they trying to be manipulative and controlling? Are they just trying to manipulate other people, control other people? Paul's writing to Timothy about what to expect in the church. And he said, there were those that were forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Like, listen, I know the truth. And there were some that, look, you can't be married. So does that mean I can't be married? Because there are some who are saying, you know what you're not causing? You're not causing that person to stumble. They're just trying to be manipulative or controlling. There are some today that believe you can't wear mixed fabrics. Like you can't can't wear cotton and poly blend. Well, they're taking Old Testament law and saying, you got to do this. Well, if you wear a mixed fabric like I'm wearing today, am I causing my brother to stumble? Or are they just trying to be manipulating and controlling? I think those are important questions to ask. And then question number three, are they moving forward in their Christian walk? Are they moving forward, desiring to move forward in their Christian walk? One author said it this way, in order for someone to stumble, they first have to be moving forward. Moving is a prerequisite for stumbling to occur. You know, sometimes a person who is rebelling against God will try to use you as their excuse for their own rebellion. And they're not moving forward. They're just looking for any opportunity, any excuse to say, well, so-and-so does it. But they're really not striving to move forward. They're just looking for an excuse. When believers within the church function this way, the way Paul's been instructing us in Romans 14 and 15, there is some kind of to, to use an illustration a biblical one i think there's some kind of music that's created some harmonious song there's something dynamic in the body of believers that it's like wow it creates this beauty in our midst i i think christ then becomes the lead singer listen to how he says it in hebrews for it became him For whom are all things and by whom are all things. And bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their, their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one. The one who sanctifies, that's Jesus. The ones who are sanctified, that's us. And he says they're all one. For which cause, listen to this, he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. It's kind of like Jesus is standing next to you in your chair. And, And when we sing, He says, I'm not embarrassed to stand next to you. There's no blushing. Really, that's a literal idea. He's not blushed. He's not embarrassed to stand next to you and to claim you as a brother or sister in Christ. And then he says, let's sing. It's like Jesus picks up the hymn book next to you and he pulls it out. And Jesus leads us in worship, standing next to his brothers and sisters in christ and says i am i am one with you i'm the one who sanctifies you're the one who is sanctified and we are one together there's nobody in the church that jesus says i'm blushing i'm embarrassed to stand next to you he says no 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 i call you by name and in the midst of the church we together will sing praise listen when we get to the place where it's like, yeah, I'll sing in church, but I'm not singing next to that person. There's something that the church has lost. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to church, but I'll tell you, the one person, that person, their weakness, we, we become like, wow, despising the weak. Or another person, like, oh, yeah, they say they have all this liberty. They do this, this, and this. I can't. He said, no, 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 no. That's not consistent with Jesus. He says, let me stand by you. And as we stand together, let's share a hymn book. And let's open our mouths in praise and worship and Jesus singing in our midst. You know, when you summarize this whole thing, as Christ remains central, the lesser things become just that. Lesser things.